Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I can't go back. I won't go back. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in this place this morning. My, my, what an atmosphere. I'm I'm careful to say when the anointing is flowing, I'm careful to say that because I believe it's misused a lot in today's time. When somebody says something is anointing, uh, they tend to think that that means that's when they got a goose bump or that's when they think that somebody really sung good or preached a good word, but the anointing means to be set apart for the purpose and the use of God. When God anoints something, he is pulling it aside over to what he divinely and specifically wants to do in and of his own purpose to bring about his will and his glory in the tabernacle. Every bit of furniture was anointed. None of the furniture spoke. None of it was any more shinier than any other that I know of. We don't know of it being anything more special than the fact that it was anointed with blood and set apart for the purpose of the use in that tabernacle. And, and this morning, I really, really feel, and I, there again, I'm very careful to say things like this, but I really feel this morning is a very divine moment that God has orchestrated in and of himself to allow this to come together as I was sitting over there listening to Pastor teach this morning and listening to what he was talking about, I lean over to my wife and I'm just blown away at how many scriptures we use together that I'll be mentioning this morning. And along the lines of what God is trying to to push apparently here in this church at HAC, I, I feel that God is speaking specifically to this church in this day and age and time you're in right now. I really believe that. I found that out to be true and being here. Again, it's been an honor Pastor Boyd, him and his family, allowing me to be here. I understand the sacredness of where I stand. It's more than just a beautiful pulpit and and a nice facility. This is an area where a pastor, a shepherd stands and and leads the flock and feeds the flock and warns the flock and looks out for wolves. I Watchmen on the wall, I understand what happens right here. And this is a place where I come and I, I pray to be in unity with the man of God. I, I pray to be under his, under his authority while I'm here and be in the same spirit, one mind and one accord, because there's a purpose. It's more than just a service here today. Again, I thank you uh, for allowing me to be here and my beautiful wife being able to come with me and, and play. I have a five-year-old and we kept him at home and we found a great opportunity not only to preach out, but take a little mini vacation. <laughs> Love him to death, miss him to death, but... Like being alone with my beautiful wife. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, I'm going to read two portions of Scripture. Uh, the first one will be Matthew 18, the second will be Luke 22. So you're in the same vicinity of the Gospels. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the overhead. Or if somebody has one beside you, peek over and cheat off of their paper. Hallelujah. I'm sure they would not mind. 
Amen, amen, amen. What an atmosphere. Praise the worship. Has it not been amazing in this place? Every song, every word, the children up here, these young people, and memorizing the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we put the word of God in our children, we're teaching them how to not walk away from the ways of God, but to walk in the favor of the Lord. Because his word is a lamp to their feet, a light unto their path. And if we don't have the word, we're stumbling in the darkness. Amen. A whole nother sermon. But amen. Matthew 18 and 3. I'm going to speak what I've now found out when I entered in here this morning. This is exactly what God had me to say today. Matthew 18 and 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except a man be converted. Everybody say converted. <clears throat> and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. Amen. In Luke 22 and 31, a few gospels over there, and, and the Lord said, Luke 22 and 31, <clears throat> and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Number one, when, when God says your name twice, it, he wants to make sure you're not preoccupied with what's about to happen. He's about to give you a word, and he wants to make sure there's nothing else more important that you're listening to. So he says your name twice. So if God ever, pastor ever gets up here to preach and, and he says your name twice in a moment, you best lean forward. Hallelujah. He's probably speaking to your life. Amen. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that your faith fail not. And, and when thou art converted, there's that word again, converted, strengthen thy brethren. And verse 33 said, and he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both unto prison and to death. Peter was just who he'd always been. He's just ready to jump in there feet first. And, and he said unto him, I tell thee, Peter, and Jesus spoke back quickly, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Saying, Peter, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your excitement. But I want to go ahead and burst your bubble for a moment here, sir. Uh, I know you've seen some things and you've been a part of some amazing moments, but I want to let you know that the rooster shall not crow one time until you deny me three times. And I'm sure that was a devastating moment in the life of Peter. So this morning, I want to simply speak on biblical change, a book of Acts experience. Biblical change that God likes to bring about. Things that we need to be tapping into in our life. Pastor, if you'll extend your hand and pray over this church service this morning, Lord. Jesus' name in church. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord if you receive that this morning? Come on, if you're ready to hear what God has for you, God has a word specifically for you, your life, your marriage, your future, your children. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord right now and give God some praise? Hallelujah. Thank you for what we're about to receive this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done already. In Jesus' name. And if you're going to preach with me, you can be seated. Amen. Amen. There is a major difference in change, average change, and a biblical change. I believe we could all agree with that. Just because something changes 
doesn't always mean it is for the better. And what a beautiful day to speak on change than on the day of time change. Can I get an amen in the house? Can I get an amen from those that like to be woken up in the morning with sunlight shining through the windows when normally you would not have loved that to happen? Hallelujah. It's good at nighttime, and, and, and last night I was, I was picking fun, and I was talking about how awesome it is to look at your watch and seeing that it says 1245 and then realizing it's only 1145 until you have a five-year-old in the morning that doesn't care what time it is. He's going to get up at the same time his body's always gotten up, and tomorrow morning it's going to be five when he wakes up instead of six. Hallelujah. So change, but I didn't have to worry about that this morning, though, Pastor. So I thank you so much for allowing me to be here and having his Mimi be woken up this morning at 5 o'clock. Hallelujah. And the church said amen. amen. So we enjoyed that little bit of extra rest this morning. And, and, and things that change aren't always what we would like it to be. Time changes and our bodies changing as we get older. Things wearing out. Things not always uh, operating the way we would normally want them to. Muscles and body parts aching that normally we didn't even know we had when we were around 20 and 30 years old. But now all of a sudden it becomes a very much strong issue. Job changes and, and things that happen that we don't like. Natural change is a temporary and a seasonal thing. It's something that comes and goes. It's like technology. As soon as you figure out your cell phone and you figure out your laptop, before you know it, everybody else has one that operates a whole lot faster. And, and a whole, it used to be a whole lot smaller, but it seems like now our phones are getting bigger and bigger. And, and I seen someone on the phone the other day, and I, I tell you what, if, if I wasn't careful, I'd have thought he was holding a cookie sheet up to the side of his head. <laughs> Thing's huge, you know. And, 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 I, and I, when me and my wife just recently uh, got some new cell phones, had to change my cell phone number in order to, to get this plan where we had two, fo- two phones at this price, she, went for the, she opted for the bigger phone, and I decided to get the smaller one because in the job that I do on a, on a Monday through Friday basis, I have to keep it in my pocket. And leaning over with a cookie sheet in your pocket just doesn't work right. I would have broke it by now. But things change. Things get bigger. Things get smaller. All of a sudden, back in olden times, every photograph you took was black and white. And then we discovered colored pictures and photographs on our walls are now colored. And now what are we doing in 2018? Reverting back to black and white. And most beautiful pictures at home. My wife's doing it right now. Bless her heart. We got In our bedroom, we have one wall in, in the room that's black. And on that wall, what are we putting? Black and white photos. Say, like, baby, they discovered color. But it looks good, and I trust her style. She always <laughs> trusts hers way better than mine. But, but I can tell you what, not all change is something that we receive easily. But, but a biblical change is something that we all need to want to reach into. It's, it's a change where things drastically are altered. It's more than just something where you, you come to church and feel, ooh, that was, that was a good service. And, and my, my, I, I just love what, what that was said. I like that illustration and that song. Boy, that just tickled my, my, that just tickled my little ears and, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. But a biblical change is something that stays with you when the lights are out. Stays with you when, when pastor's already gone home. And, 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 and young people, it stays with you when mom and dad's nowhere to be around. 
I youth pastored for 15 years before God called me to, to evangelize, begin to evangelize. And uh, God has given me some beautiful opportunities to work with young people. And I have, I have found out that there's been a lot of opportunities at youth camps and youth meetings and prayer meetings where I've seen young people in the altars just, just snotting and going at it and just spitting and rolling and flowing and hair buns flying and everything. To just get up the next day and pull me aside and tell me the struggles that they're continuing to have because that roll that night didn't quite roll out of their spirit. The things they're still battling with. It's got to be more than just a temporary fix. Can I get an amen? It's got to be more than something that just momentarily happens that helps you to feel good in a moment. The word convert means to turn to another or particular use or purpose. To divert from the original or intended use. It is to modify something so as to serve a different function. We, we all need to get back to our desperation of a conversion. We all need to get back to a, to a passion of wanting our lives to be absolutely converted and changed. I, I felt so good when I came in church here this morning and right in front of me, my good brother leans back and, and hallelujah, didn't give me his name so I won't embarrass him, but he's the young man with the blue shirt, hallelujah, over here to my right. And he leans back and whispers, I'm from LaGrange, Georgia, hallelujah. I felt the Holy Ghost stirring me right there. I just wanted to lean forward and say, have you converted over to the Gators or are you still a Bulldog fan? Come on. He said he whispered when he said that, Pat. He wasn't going. But I didn't. I didn't do that. I understand some things change in different areas. But we all need to make sure we get back to a sincerity to where you felt the day God first got a hold of your soul. When God first changed you and put his spirit in you, if you've been honored to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you were buried in the name of Jesus Christ, that moment God changed some things. There always needs to be moments where we want to stay where we were that day we received the Holy Ghost. But when five years go by and ten years go by and before you know it, you're spiritually dusty on your shoulders and your soul. And you're not praying like we used to. And our knees aren't aching from being on them so long. And it's been a long time since we've cried on our shirt because of a need we're going through. It's a conversion. It's a changing. It's a passion that once we get it, we keep it. It's a Zacchaeus climbing a tree kind of passion. It's a Peter walking on water kind of passion. It's it's men ripping open a roof just to bring a friend down for a healing for Jesus. Not even their own healing, a friend. It's that kind of passion. It's a blind Bartimaeus crying out even the louder that. Needing a healing. Woman with an issue of blood, passion. A woman at the well that brought an entire community back to Jesus. An instant soul winner. Right off the bat. A very influential woman apparently. Having a passion at that moment. Realizing what was standing right in front of her. You see, I've tried religion before Pentecost, but it didn't change me. See, there was no no oomph, I guess we can say it. There was no push. There was no passion. There was no spirit. Pastor tried to throw away. I remember the first time I I got hungry for, I guess you could just say religion altogether. I was probably around 17 maybe. And I remember one time I went over to this uh, denominal church and 
And, and I walked in there, and I was just looking around because we had recently moved into an apartment complex nearby. So what do you do? I was always told, even though you didn't care much about church and committed to it, when you move somewhere, find a good church and go at least on Sundays or Easter's or Christmas or something. So that's what I did. I found a local church nearby, walked in there. Nobody was there. The doors were unlocked. So I'm looking around. I made my way down the office, and pastor was sitting in his office. He said, hey, young man, can I help you? I said, well, we just moved in at this apartment complex next door. And I was just looking around, seeing if this would be a church I'd like to come to here on Sunday. He said, well, man, sit down. Let me talk to you. And he begins to talk to me and ask about my family and everything going on. And, and he says, have you, ever, have you ever accepted Christ as your personal Savior? I said, well, no, I've, I've never done nothing like that. He said, well, sit down with me. Let me pray with you. So I began to pray with him. And I sat there and I said the prayer of repentance. I believe there was a sin- sin- sincerity. In my soul at that moment, I sincerely was asking God to forgive me. I didn't know what for, but this is what this man was telling me to do. And so I did, and I believe God honored that at that moment. And I, I said, God, um, you know, forgive me and said the prayer with him. When it was over, he said, well, we're, we're going to be looking forward to seeing you Sunday, and maybe I'll come pay you a visit next door over there sometime. I was like, sure, come on over, not a problem. Well, at the time, I was very strung out on drugs and cigarettes and drinking and everything else. And, and apparently that prayer that I said didn't quite deliver all this stuff yet. And so, sitting in the house, and I'm probably on my second pack of Marlboros by this time when Pastor comes and knocking on the door. And out of respect, I put out my cigarette, open the door, let him in. He comes in, sits down, and he looks over there across the living room on my dining room table and sees my carton of cigarettes that I just bought. I ain't got the Holy Ghost yet. I just want to make sure y'all understand this. You got to be careful when you're messing with somebody's goods and they ain't saved yet. Hallelujah. So I'm sitting there, and he says, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and go ahead, since you've already come to church and, and said the prayer of repentance, I'm going to take that carton of cigarettes and just throw them in the trash for you. Is that all right? Uh, Pastor, you lay your hands on them cigarettes, and I'm going to lay my hands on you. And that's when I realized later on, not at that moment, I realized there was something about this. This man was very sincere in what he knew to do, and he was trying to get rid of the goods without first binding the strong man. See, I had an issue that only rep- that repentance alone in and of itself would not change me and alter and convert me. And I was mad. And you can throw them away all you want, but we're going to have a problem. Because I realized I got to go back and buy another carton. That ain't going to deliver me. There's got to be something else. And Mark 3.27 said, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind that strong man and then he will spoil his house. We got to have that do whatever it absolutely takes to get to Jesus' passion and conversion. I'm talking about the kind that isn't worried about offending the one beside you. Not worried about those that hear you in a good prayer meeting next door in your home or your neighbors hearing the music and the praise and the worshiping billowing out of your windows during prayer meeting at your house. Those moments where you don't apologize for being apostolic. It's a conversion. But it's not automatic is what I hate having to say I I wish I could just say it was automatic when you just come to God and things just all you got to do is just be sincere in everything you do and things are going to happen it's got to be intentional it's something that just doesn't happen by happenstance it's it's got to be an intentional push and a thing on our part the average human is identified with the world that they live in 
our generation and being politically correct, I guess you could call it profiling somebody. And that's not always a, a issue as far as within race or nationalities, but when you can profile a situation, I can tell you right now, if, if I was in a gas station at the counter paying for my gas or whatever, and all of a sudden somebody came in with a ski mask and looking a little suspicious, I immediately profile that person. I relate him to the world apparently he's living in, especially when you're probably in Florida and it's 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's when the organ gets in. Well, well, 90 degrees and man comes in with a ski mask, I just profiled him as a danger. I'm now looking for where my family is. There's been moments I have had to stand in the way. I remember one night I was leaving out of a Cracker Barrel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I know somebody felt the Holy Ghost right when I said that. And I left out and I was going. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night because like we do as Pentecostals, we like to hang around and fellowship for three hours after we've eaten. And and it was well good and closed. And and I'm walking out in the parking lot with my five-year-old. And I get to my pickup truck, and I'm about to unlock my door. And while my five-year-old is in front of me to get into the back seat of my pickup truck, into his car seat, a man comes out from behind my truck in the dark, walks up on me fast, and sudden, he was just wanting to bum some dollars. And immediately when he walked out behind my truck, my instinct was to get between him and my son. I don't care what you want. I profiled this situation. You're a threat to me. There's things that we are identified with in the world we live in depending on how we live our life. Adam and Eve were identified with sin after they disobeyed God. Why? Because when you looked at them, you saw fig leaves. Profiled that situation. They disobeyed God. But after God made a sacrifice for them, they were now identified differently as being changed because they were now covered with a blood. A sacrifice that God had made himself for them. The prodigal son, while in rebellion and in the pig pen, was identified with a world of sin. And we've all know the story. Especially those who have lost a child or a young person to the world. And that prodigal son, while as long as he was in that pig pen, was identified with disobedience and an anger and a hatred towards the things that his dad had tried to raise him for. But after returning to his father's house, his father had restored him back to his rightful position of family royalty with a royal robe, a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. Why? Because now he's being identified with his surroundings. You're no longer in that pig pen, son. I need to change something. In other words, if you're going to be identified with the world you're living in, why not we as apostolics automatically be identified as children of the living God even in the midst of a sinful world? We ought to not have to push so hard to convince people that we're good all-American church goers. Let your light so shine before men that they hear you preaching all the time. That they, you got a shirt that says Acts 2.38 on it. Maybe there's a bumper sticker. Maybe you got the little sandwich board on your chest and you're saying the end is coming. Maybe that's it. No. Let your light shine before men that they will automatically see your good works. We're not saved by works, hallelujah. We're saved by grace. Absolutely. But I can tell you right now, your works is what helps keep you saved. Yes, sir. Yes. 
And there's things that we are identified with just by letting our light so shine before men. When a person comes in contact with Jesus, the giver of life, the savior of the world, there's got to be a radical, noticeable change. I had a good friend of mine who pastors there in Georgia had made a statement one day, and I've forever remembered this. He said, if somebody ever comes to you and says that they met Jesus, but they didn't have to change a thing about him when they met him, go ahead and assume that they met the wrong Jesus. Because when you come in contact with Jesus, real contact, something changes. Whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, he either caused a riot or a revival. He never just moved in and you came in contact. I mean, not the average person that saw him pass and didn't care to look over where he was, but when he came in contact, uh, something changed, something altered. Blind eyes were open, deaf ears were open. The dead rose again when they heard their voice in the grave. Lazarus, come forth. A dead man could not stay in his grave. After hearing his own name from the lips of God himself, Something's got to happen. So I know without the shadow of a doubt, if you may be here today and you have not had the pleasure of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you, you've not been able to move the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, having your inherited sins washed away, I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, you don't have to leave the same way you came in. You don't have to be identified with that world you've always been in, that that world of addiction, that world of sin. There's a biblical change that is being offered here this morning. I, I can sense it here. This is my first time able to be here, but I feel like this church is hungry for an outpouring. You've been hungry. You're obviously hungry. This is not just a scattered, thrown together service. It has been orchestrated on purpose. For somebody to realize, I got to have him. I got to have him. We sing about it all the time. We get goosebumps when we sing about it. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And we sing that, and we, then we go realizing it after living for God. Even when I am broken, you're working. Even when I don't feel like it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I've prayed and you haven't answered, you're working. Even when my marriage is falling apart, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I ain't seen my kids in two years, you're working. Even when they're all addicted, you're working. That's got to be your prayer to understand God is working no matter how you feel. God is a God of power no matter how you feel. Because God's anointing, God's authority is never predicated on how you feel. Because God is God no matter how you feel. Clap your hands to the Lord this morning. Give God some praise. I want to, the scripture I read here this morning is such an anointing. I, I feel God has spoke divinely already to someone. 
But the scripture that I read here this morning tells us that Peter seemed to be a man converted. If you think about old Peter, you would automatically, my, my, I, I want to be a little bit like Peter. And there's been a lot of times in my walk with God I have very much related to Peter. Ain't always been on the good end of relation to Peter, but I can tell you, wow, some of his blood's flowing through my veins because there's been moments I've put my foot in my mouth. And we all know Peter to be that man, but... As you read the scripture here, you would think, or as you read your word through the Gospels and the New Testament and and everything that Peter wrote and had out in ministering to the churches, that he was a man converted all the way from the beginning by divine contact with Jesus. I mean, he walked with the Lord. He seen healings. He walked on water. Come on. He was a man that left his home, left his father's home, his, his lifestyle, his living of fishing and following after a man that just said, I'll make you fishers of men. He was, a, he was a man that had always been out on the water, but now he's a man of the land. Quit his job, his life's living and Followed a man he did not know, never seen before, didn't have any credentials about this Jesus, didn't know he wasn't even connected with him on Facebook. He, he didn't know anything about Jesus, never seen his Instagram, never seen anything about Jesus. But he walks up and all of a sudden Peter throws down everything and starts following this man. Wow, what a conversion. Saw miracles by the hands of the Lord himself. Was present at the failed funeral of Lazarus. <laughs> Actually walked on water. We think he only walked on water uh, once, but he actually walked on water twice. First time he decided to streak out there and head toward Jesus all confident. And all of a sudden he noticed the waves and the wind and the rain, which was already happening when he got out the boat. We think the storm popped up once he walked on the water, but it was already going in a blowing. So he had the faith in the moment of the storm, but then he took his eyes off the Lord and began to sink. The Lord comes along after Peter prays that short prayer, reaches up, Lord, save me, and Jesus grabs Peter's hand, and it doesn't say the Lord threw Peter over his shoulder and carried him back to the boat. They walked together back on water. First time he was going by faith alone. The second time he was holding the hand of God himself. So many times when... When God sees us in our walk with God, and there's moments where we don't have the faith to make it. It's moments where we are sinking. Let's just be real. I'm be transparent with you. There's moments I ain't always felt spiritual to grab a microphone and preach a sermon. I didn't always feel like youth pastor in 15 years. I didn't always feel like gathering on Friday night to hang out with young people and eat pizza for the 5,000th time. <laughs> young people, there's other foods. And if you say tacos, I'm going to hit you with the microphone. But I tell you, so, so many a nights of pizzas, it'll change a man, hallelujah. I love them barbecue cookouts when they came around. Come on, please. I don't even like pig's feet, but I think I would consider it right now. Not really, that was a joke, but there ain't always been times I felt the most spiritual, and everybody would understand that of yourself where we've needed to have the hand of God because our faith isn't where it needs to be. Lord, you've been down in those moments of prayer. You didn't know what to pray about. You didn't know what to say, where to go, where to focus, what direction to point in. And and God just leans down to you in that utterance with, with words that cannot be uttered in the Holy Ghost. And you begin to pray in the Spirit as God comforts you and puts his hand on you and gives you that strength that you need in that moment because you don't know what to do. But no doubt, Peter was a man with a lot of like a lot of us today that we've seen in our lives, people we respect and people we look up to, we put a lot of stock in Peter. I mean, he's 
spent time with Jesus. He's walked on water. He's, he's seen funerals as failed. He's actually been there when the 5,000 were fed and plus 4,000 plus were fed. Peter's seen some things. We, we'd put some stock in this man. We would, we would hire him as the head deacon. My goodness. We would, we would start a conference in his name. No doubt we would sell tickets to his crusades. This was a man converted. This was a man that spent time with the Lord. But before we get too excited here today, there's a reason I'm bringing you this story about Peter, about biblical change. Because we get too excited about old Pete. But before we do, let's read about what Jesus thought of him. Because after all, what Jesus thinks about us actually matters. What does Jesus have to say about us? Yeah, we look good. We smell good. We sprayed and prayed before we came to church. And people beside you are actually smiling today. Because you did that. Hallelujah. Thank them at four service. But Jesus might be looking at some other things internal that are happening. And it's not actually a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of the Lord. But let's take a look at what Jesus thought as I read that scripture again. Luke 22 and 31 said, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, listen up, Simon. I have somewhat something I want to say unto you. Behold, Satan. He's going ahead and identifying the enemy. Satan hath desired to have you, not your fellow brother, not your disciple in the ministry, not me, but the devil, Satan himself, hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But you see, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will fail not. And when you are converted, I want you to go strengthen your brethren. And he said unto him, Peter, of course, being who he is, says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both the prison, both the death. He looks at him, and in my mind of imagination, I just imagine Jesus just reaching up and doing that slow wipe of the brow as leaders and pastors and evangelists sometimes do when somebody makes a real weird statement. You just kind of wonder, were you listening to me while I was preaching? And Jesus says, Peter, Peter. The cock shall not crow this day before you shall deny me three times. I understand your enthusiasm, and I appreciate that, but you have no idea the battle you're about to come to, the, the wall that you're about to approach, the decision you're about to have to make. Jesus was sharing with Peter some very powerful information that remains true to every human being to this day. He was letting Peter know this one thing. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter, Peter, your pedigree. I know your father might have been a well-known fisherman in this area, but you forsook that to follow me, and that no longer matters, any of your background. I don't care of your pedigree, Peter, how many notches you have in your belt, how, many, how much you can sit there and talk about the story of you walking on that water and, and how you were able to see all these things happening, the amount of miracles that you've seen, how important you think you are. Because, Peter, without a biblical conversion, you will never be what God created you to be. Jesus told Peter, I prayed that your faith fail not. And when, everybody say when. And when, Peter, when you are converted, then and only then, I want you to go strengthen your brethren. Because as of right now, you're too weak to strengthen your own self. You need a conversion. 
And when I read that, it dawned on me at all that time that I thought Peter was raring and ready to go. I mean, if I'd have been walking with Jesus, I would think I'd have some notches in my belt. I think I'd have something to brag about. I would need a lesson of humility if I had spent some time with the Lord on this earth. And there's Peter all excited and arrogant about what he's going to do. And Jesus says, you have not yet even been converted. See, conversion is more than just shaking the pastor's hand. It's more than just having your parking spot. And pastor, I hope I'm not out of order here. It's more than just making sure that you know the right people and leadership. Or or you might have had your family. You might be third, fourth, fifth generation apostolic. But conversion is way deeper than that. It's way deeper. It's down. It's, It's when you know how to fight battles in the spirit world. It's when the devil knows you by name. Jesus, I know. You know, and he's, I know this. I know, I, know, I know these people, but who? I'm, I'm sorry. Could you tell me your name again? I'm really not familiar with you. You've not been a threat to the gates of hell yet. Because once you're identified, and I've had so many people that have come to me and want me to encourage them on a regular basis and Oh, Brother Reese, this is what I'm going through. And I'm on the job and I'm being persecuted. And, or a young person, I'm at school and I'm being looked at differently. And I'm being picked on on my lifestyle of how I'm living. Or somebody's sitting there, I'm struggling with my prayer life. Or I'm struggling with my worship. And I'm going through a valley and it seems like the devil just won't let up. I sit there and tell them with confidence in their face, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Because I'm letting you know right now, if the devil feels he needs to invest in you that much, you are a threat to the kingdom of hell. There's something he sees in you even in and of himself. Because that's why Jesus told Peter, Satan has a desire to have you. And I fear this morning, Satan is looking across the crowd, or if not, maybe in here, but before you came or waiting on you outside. That he looks and has a desire to have you. Because he sees some potential. He, he saw something in Peter. He saw the potential, but he knew there was no conversion yet. So he wanted to get his hands on him. I hope somebody's hearing what I'm trying to say. You're here. You're here on a positive note. You've been here for years, but yet there has failed to be a conversion in your soul. A young person that just comes to be a part of what's going on and we thank you for that. And I know pastor does too. But eventually you got to be like Cain and Abel and you got to go and give your own sacrifice. Bible said and when the process of time had come, Cain and Abel went to give sacrifice. There was a time when they understood mom and daddy's sacrifice ain't good enough no more. What mom and dad's always told me is it's now up to me. And I've seen young people... I've seen a conversion happen on them. I've seen the moments where everything was casual. I've seen moms and dads where everything was casual until at that moment in that altar, pastor, where you've seen it. I know you have even as a pastor. You've seen that conversion take place. You saw it when there was a divine move of the hand of God. He was letting Peter know, I don't care about all that stuff, how important you are. Without a biblical conversion, you'll never be what God created you to be. Jesus told Peter, I've prayed that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, go strengthen your brethren. Peter, I love your enthusiasm, your fearlessness, saint. I'm telling you this morning, church member, mom, dad, young person, I appreciate your fearlessness. I appreciate your tenacity, your spunk, your excitement, your faithfulness to the house of God and the things of God. But you have no strength to endure unless there's been a spiritual conversion in your life. 
As pastor was preaching here earlier today, he kept talking about vision. We need a vision. He began to take you through scripture after scripture. If you were here, you were honored to hear the man of God talk about the vision of the church. The vision of not only the church, but an individual child of God. Because sometimes churches don't have a vision. But a leadership does or Certain ones of a church do, and, and it's because that vision is, is shown through you, it begins to grow, progress. I don't believe it's happened overnight here. I don't know full history of the church. I know this is about the third building program here. Third, I think I saw the painting in the, in the hall where you've come from, but I know this didn't happen overnight. There were struggles, there were battles, there were valleys. There were times of prayer when you didn't feel like it. There were times when you needed to act converted when you didn't feel like being converted. And you went deeper in prayer to make sure you were converted. To endure what the enemy has in store for you. Peter, I need you to be biblically changed. Where there's no vision, pastor spoke about it. People will perish. In other words, where there's no conversion. Because a vision comes out of a life of conversion. Brings about a vision. Without a vision, people perish. So without conversion, people perish. Churches die. Ministries crumble. Things dissolve. But I'm here to tell someone this morning, after reading this scripture, it tells me several things about what Satan thinks about us too. In our lives of non-conversion. Stay with me now. I'm not trying to make this a solemn moment. I'm really not. I'm, I'm trying to be here as a mouthpiece to what I feel God has already been saying in this church service this morning. But Satan had an idea of what he was looking for in not only Peter, but in the lifestyle of everybody to this day. The more in that statement that Jesus gave to Peter, I pray that your faith fell not. He was saying, the more useful to Satan, you're more useful to Satan when you're unconverted because the Bible says Satan desires to have you, Peter. And to this point, there's been no conversion. It also means that you're able to be sifted when you're unconverted because Satan have desired to sift you as wheat. Your faith keeps you converted because he said, I pray that your faith fell not. He didn't say, Peter, I pray that you start a great ministry. Pray, pray that you start a great conference. But he said, Peter, the one thing I need to happen in your life is for your faith to fail. Not. There's moments where you're struggling to be in the house of God. You're struggling to live for God. You're struggling. But God is just wanting your faith to be encouraged. I want to encourage you. The devil's always going to come to you to remind you of your past. Go ahead and accept that. That's what he does. Reminds me of that story of little Tommy out in his backyard. And he was standing there by the pond behind his house. And he was shooting his little BB gun out there at some cans. And and all of a sudden, while he was shooting at these cans, that all of a sudden one of the BBs ricocheted off of a log he was shooting at. And bounced off over there to a duck and hit a duck on the pond. And old Tommy got terrified because when he hit the duck, it killed him deader than a hammer. And that was mom's favorite duck. She had bought that duck herself. She raised that duck herself. And that always been that little duck out there on that pond. But little Tommy done killed it deader than a hammer. So Tommy sneaks over there and grabs that little old duck off the water. Takes it over there to a pile of wood back over here and he hides it behind the wood. Stuffs that little duck behind the logs. Goes to walk off with confidence like he covered it up. And there was his sister, little Susie. Just looking. 
She don't say a word. She just turns around and walks in the house. Tommy knows he's done been given up by little Susie. Walks in there and it's dinner time now and table's set and they're sitting down to eat and when dinner's over, all of a sudden, daddy says, Susie, I need you to go in there and help mama finish these dishes up and clean up this kitchen. And Susie says, but daddy, Tommy said he doesn't mind if he washes the dishes with mama tonight. And Tommy gets mad and looks at Susie and she leans over in his ear and she says, remember the duck. He said, oh. He knows he's, he's gotten. So then he just walks away and goes and does the dishes. The next day comes, school's over. They rush home because it's time for old Tommy to go fishing with Daddy. Does it every Thursday. Runs into the door, and there's Daddy standing there with his fishing pole. And Susie sees Tommy coming in, knowing what he's excited about, and jumps in front of Tommy and says, Daddy, Tommy said he doesn't mind if I go fishing with you today. Tommy's now mad. He's now missing out on his great opportunity to fish with his father. And then Susie leans over to Tommy before he can say anything and says, remember that duck. And so now the next day comes and it's going on about a week and now Susie's got little Tommy doing everything. Finally, Tommy out of his, just out of just, just fear of just being wore out, of just being a slave to Susie, runs into the kitchen where mama's at the sink and falls down at her mercy. Says, mama, I need to confess something. I killed your duck about a week ago. It was an accident. That BB ricocheted off of that log and killed it dead. I hit it back behind a pile of wood. She leans over there to stut Tommy and grabs his shoulder and says, Honey, I saw you when you did it. I just wanted to see how long you was going to let Susie make you a slave. But how many times have we came to the house of God and been delivered from sin, been delivered from addiction, been delivered from hell in our life world falling apart God delivers us and we start in our walk with God and we sit down and we try and on Monday morning the devil leans over to us and says remember that addiction remember that duck don't ever forget about that duck and he moves on to the next person you remember that time you slipped you remember that time you failed you remember that time you lied remember that duck but when a conversion oh When a conversion takes place, that's when you understand that there's an altar. There's a place of compassion that you can come to. When you realize that you ain't perfect. When you realize you're a human of frailty. When you're a human that can make mistakes. And you fall and you stumble. And Jesus doesn't walk up to you and say, remember your faults. But he casts them as far away as the east is from the west. To never be seen again. He is able to forgive you of all the sins. But when your enemy realizes there's been no conversion. Well, preacher, I need you to get to this conversion thing. I need you to help me to understand this. I I understand what you're saying and I believe it, but you're kind of dangling out a pork chop in front of me and I want to bite. It's got to be a conversion. Because like Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 3, Verily I say unto you, except the man be converted and become his little children, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, how important is conversion? Jesus made it very clear they needed a real conversion before they even decided to follow him wholeheartedly. 
Jesus said in Acts 1 and 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This was after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. This is after he revealed himself to, to them in the room and, and walking on the beach. And now he's going to them together one last time before he goes up through the clouds. And he commands them, depart not from Jerusalem. I need you to wait for that promise of the Father I told you about. Which shall he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. What was that promise? Acts 1 and 8. And Pastor mentioned that this morning. But you shall receive power. You shall receive a conversion. After that the Holy Ghost have come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both. Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want to remind everybody here this morning where God had taken humanity from to where we are here today. As I'm getting near the close here to give you hope that the buffet I'm sure is still warm somewhere. I've noticed the closest Walmart is 45 minutes away, so I don't know where the buffets are, but I'm praying for you. Hallelujah. I don't know. I'm just, I do that kind of stuff. Where's my Walmart? There's been times I just want to know Walmart was. But I know that I'm standing between you and some food right now, so there is a moment where God called Moses up to the mountain. So Moses, I need you to come up here with me, and I need to have a little talk with you. And as Moses began to climb that mountain, there was a fire at the top of that mountain. There was a rumbling as God was communicating with Moses that the people on the ground could not receive. They could not hear it. They could not. It was just noise to them. And Moses is up there and God's giving him these commandments. And as Moses is at the top of that fiery top mountain, flames at the top of it, smoke all around it, noise being clattered about from the voice of God that nobody understood but Moses, God gives him the Ten Commandments. And in the process of doing so, Moses begins to hear and God begins to notice the worship at the bottom of the mountain. Oh, there's Aaron. They've made a golden calf. And now the people are worshiping this golden calf because they think Moses has died in the mountain. So then God tells Moses, you need to get down and deal with this. Moses descends from this mountain and he sees what is happening. And in this pitiful conversation between him and Aaron, Aaron begins to give all these excuses of how this calf just came out of the flames. No, no responsibility, no accountability whatsoever. It just happened. And here's your calf and well, they kind of forced it on me, and this is where it's at. And God leans, uh, Moses takes a couple steps back, and he says, Those that are on the side of the Lord, come over here. Priests, I need you to go over here. And those who are against God are about to fall. And there was a great battle that took place. Death happened. And the Bible said at that moment when Moses came out of that mountain with those commandments because of their idolatry, 3,000 souls died at the foot of that mountain where the law was provided. Let's skip ahead to the day of Pentecost. Let's slip ahead to the time of where God brings a divine conversion to humanity. All of a sudden, they're in the upper room 
And one that day, the feast of Pentecost came about. There came a sound from heaven. It was like a rushing mighty wind or something rumbling. It was the sound of heaven. The rushing mighty wind filled every bit of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared above them cloven tongues like a fire set on each one of them. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance or the control. And when this noise went out of the balcony window from the upper room, slid down into the neighborhood in the streets below them, they began to hear this noise and said, they're drunk. So early in the morning, they're up there partying. Peter steps out on the balcony and he begins to deliver them some keys that Jesus had given to them. Because earlier, Peter had looked, uh, Jesus looked over at Peter and said, who do they say that I am? You was out there while we were feeding the 5,000. You had them sitting in groups of 50. Peter, tell me who they said I am. Well, they think you're prophets risen from the grave. They think you're Elijah. They think, Elijah. They think all this stuff. They think you're a great teacher. They think, oh, okay, okay, okay. Peter, I need to know, who do you say I am? Oh, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Flesh and blood, Jesus says, have not revealed this unto thee. For my father which art in heaven. And thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What were those keys? Peter stepping out on that balcony. Everybody stand with me right now. There's an anointing in this place. God is about to give somebody a divine revelation right now. Peter reaches into his spirit and grabs the ring of keys that Jesus gave him and begins to dangle them out over the balcony, spiritually speaking. And they said, what must we do, Peter? Y'all aren't drunk like you said. Peter says, no, no. This is what prophet Joel spoke about. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That which you now see and hear is that coming to pass. Well, Peter, what must we do? Which is the question that all humanity might be asking you in your job, in your restaurants with waitresses as Pastor was talking about. Moments where you have an opportunity to share that gospel. They're asking, well, what have I got to do? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Peter said. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus, the only name given unto men whereby we must be saved. Even baptism doth now save us, the Bible said. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And at that moment, 3,000 souls received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when grace was poured out and the Spirit of God came forth from the preaching of a man of God by the name of Peter. Because what had happened in the upper room when the Holy Ghost was poured out, Peter went from the average Peter to now being filled with the Holy Ghost to a divine conversion and a change. And now he can now encourage and feed and strengthen his brethren. So he preaches 3,000 souls. People ask you, why do you got to talk in tongues? Why is this? It's so confusing to me. Well, they were confused at the foot of that mountain when they were hearing noise while God was giving the law to Moses too. There was also fire 
at the top of that mountain while Moses was up there giving that word that everybody else thought was just gibberish. But Moses was receiving something divine. Moses was having an experience with God. His face was now glowing. And now we're here on the day of Pentecost, fire on our heads, speaking in an unknown tongue. What is this foolishness? No, no. It's not foolishness. It's God telling humanity what the law was not able to do at the foot of that mountain. What law could not provide for you out of your sin. I have now poured out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters. Come on. It's for everybody. And I'm here to encourage somebody right now. Lift your hands. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray. I want you to pray right now that there is a divine spiritual conversion that takes place that only happens with the infilling of the Holy Ghost that only happens as Paul said when he said I die daily in a renewal it might, you might have the Holy Ghost you, you might have received it 10 years ago it might have been 6 months ago but you ain't spoken tongues in a long time I'm here to encourage somebody right now a conversion happens when you die daily Paul said Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Forbid not to speak in tongues. I don't know who I'm talking to. You've been battling with this. You've been struggling with this. You might have the Holy Ghost, but there's not been a true conversion. You know your prayer could go deeper. You know your worship could go deeper. Come on, right now, right now, right now, there's anointing. The word of God is going forth. Every hand raised. Every mouth of worship lifted to God right now. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.